Well, good evening to you. We've come to the end of Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament. We've been studying through that book for a number of weeks. And as we come down to the end of that prophecy, I'm going to, uh, to give one last lesson dealing with it. And perhaps dealing not so much with, uh, with interpretation of the text as much as some practical application of it. Daniel ended his prophecy somewhere around 50 years, and that's rounded, somewhere around 50 years before Malachi began prophesying. I think that's something, that's something that until I looked at it on a timeline, I didn't really see for myself. But it's true, it's about 50 years between those two. But Daniel's writing concerned the time, some of it did, concerned the time after Malachi would pass on. So that's a very interesting connection. After Malachi stopped prophesying, after he finished, there was a period of about 04 or 500 years that's called the time of silence. It's called that because God didn't speak anymore to His people until the time of Christ. And then wonders began to occur once again. But during the time of silence, the Jews who had been so used to having at least a prophet speaking for God during their lifetime received no message, nothing new. And they would, they would then search for a message from God concerning them and they would find Daniel's prophecy concerning that time of silence, concerning the events that would unfold around them and the, the roles that they would play. And I want you to notice this in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. It says, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. That is, until, uh, until the end time, not necessarily the end of time itself. He says, Then many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. That particular statement, many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase, that was something I hadn't searched out before. Something I hadn't really heard talked about before. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. And what I've found is that it has to do with the Jews going back and forth, not so much in a, in a location, but rather in the Scriptures, that they would go back and forth in them, reading them and studying them and, and seeing what it says for them. And while in some cases, there's another time it comes up and it says that knowledge would not increase even though they did this. Here it says they would go back and forth and knowledge would increase because this had to do with them. We share some similarities with the Jews who lived around the time of Christ. Lived in the years leading up to His time. The end of Daniel's prophecy puts one primary similarity on display for us. And that is that God has remained silent for many years. He has not given a new message to us for nearly 2,000 years. For them it was about four or 500 years. For us, nearly 2,000 since Jesus walked the earth. 
and the Jews in the time of silence had a job to do. They were to go back and forth in the Scriptures and increase in knowledge. And I think we would be hard-pressed to come up with a more simple or clear way to describe what Bible study is. When we study together, I don't bring up some new message. We go back and forth in what God has already provided. And as we do that, we increase in knowledge. We gain from it continually. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do as Christians today. But there are some traps. And I find this especially interesting. That the Jews display some traps that they fell into as we look at the time of Christ especially and the problems they had. And I think we would do well to take note of those and be sure that we don't fall into them. And, and the first thing that comes to my mind is that as they went back and forth in the Scriptures, they failed to search honestly. They failed to search honestly. There are numerous accounts where Jesus had to offer correction about the Scriptures, their understanding of them. In John chapter 5, let's turn there to start. In John chapter 5, verse 39... Jesus says to those who were questioning Him, He says to those Jews, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. And you are unwilling to come to Me so that you may have life. So here we see the Jews doing exactly what they were supposed to do. They were searching the Scriptures, going back and forth in them. They thought that in them they would have life, but what they failed to see was the arm of the Scriptures pointing toward Jesus. And when He arrived, they weren't looking for Him, or perhaps they were looking in the wrong place for the wrong sort of person entirely. And so they didn't see Him, they didn't come to Him, they didn't submit to Him, because they'd searched dishonestly. They were not willing to see what the Scriptures were pointing toward. They weren't willing to see what was plainly in front of their faces. And so they missed Him. Now let's look at Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 1. Matthew 15, verse 1, says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. Let them alone, they are blind guides. 
And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The Pharisees, notice, are the ones who question him. These who prided themselves on their knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures, but they'd searched dishonestly anything they found that disagreed with their tradition, anything they found that disagreed with what they already believed to be the case, was cast aside. It is vital that we examine and re-examine our belief our teaching, our practice, because the Scriptures may point us in a different direction than we have gone thus far. They were unwilling to listen when the Scriptures said that they ought to honor their father and their mother, and because they didn't like that teaching, because they didn't care to take their money and do right by those who raised them, they created a loophole under the disguise of piety. That they were giving so much to God that they just didn't have any left. And so I couldn't possibly help you, mom and dad. You wouldn't want me to steal from the Lord, would you? You see how that becomes almost believable? If you're not searching honestly. We have to search honestly. We have to allow the Scriptures to lead us where we ought to go. Rather than blindly following our traditions. Traditions always ought to be reevaluated. Man made traditions can become blind guides, especially to those like, like myself. For instance, I'll use me because I have to be really careful about all of this because I grew up, as we say, in the church. Grew up around a lot of the things that I see here. Feels very nostalgic and very good. And when someone wants to change something, even if it isn't against the Scriptures, it doesn't feel very good to me. And that may cause me to stand against it blindly without considering the teaching of the Scriptures. And so we have to re-examine these things. Otherwise, our man-made traditions become blind guides if we follow them that way. And we'll fall into the same pit that the Pharisees found. I want you to go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. I want you to note a couple passages there with me. A couple of verses in that chapter. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And again verse 13 The very last verse of Daniel, the last thing spoken to him that he records, says, But as for you, that is, as for Daniel, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And so that rest seems to be Daniel's death, and rise again would be simply to rise again to his allotted portion at the end of the age. Now I want you to look at Matthew 22, verse 23. Matthew 22 and verse 23. Jesus is there and it says, On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned Him. Do you already see that they had searched for what they wanted to find? 
To say there's no resurrection as you go back and forth, even in the Old Testament, is to ignore everything that you don't want to see. They didn't like the idea of a resurrection for some reason. Didn't want to teach it. Didn't want to believe it. And so they conveniently perhaps ignored or explained away every time it came up. Plainly in the book of Daniel, it teaches the resurrection of the dead. But they ignored it. And then they go on, of course, to question Jesus about this resurrection from the dead that they don't believe in or teach. And they ask Him about the Scripture. Verse 24, if, if a man dies having no children, his brother is next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. And they say, now there were seven brothers with us. The first married and died. Having no children, left his wife to his brother. So the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. I want you to notice what Jesus begins with. He says, you are mistaken. Not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they are neither merry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead... You notice he answers the question that they failed to ask. The one they ought to have asked, really. The one that an honest searcher of the Scriptures would have asked themselves. Regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so their lack of understanding becomes evident. Even in the book of Daniel that we have just been searching through ourselves, we find evidence of the resurrection, and yet that truth didn't fit with what they wanted to believe. So they dismissed it in favor of their own opinions. Jesus showed them plainly the resurrection is true, and that even the dead are still living, noting the present tense of verse 32. The Jews had fallen into a terrible trap as they went back and forth in the Scriptures, they became so knowledgeable in them that they began to speculate and form grand ideas about what might be or what may be, perhaps even what probably isn't. But they clung to those speculations rather than to the Scriptures themselves. And even more than that, they clung to the speculation more than the message the Scriptures provided pointing to Jesus. And so many of them didn't, didn't accept Him even after His time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 and 21 warns of those who claim knowledge but have none. He tells Timothy, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone, away, gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. It is our job as Christians to learn what the Scriptures teach and then guard that teaching against false knowledge. Against those who claim to have some great revelation from God, but who really have only old wives' tales to tell. There's a lot of these teachings floating around, but the most 
prominent and, and the one that is garnering, I think, the most media attention that we've talked about before is the teaching of, of this premillennialism that searches for signs of the judgment day. Daniel happens to be one of the most prominently displayed texts when this false knowledge is presented to persuade people to lies. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, Jesus talks to His disciples about the judgment day. Mark 13, verse 32. He says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed. Here, and here's the idea. That, that no one knows what this day is or when it is or when it's going to occur. And so here's the direction that's given to mankind concerning this day that we don't know when it's going to come. Here's the direction that we ought to take. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. He does not say, you do not know now, but through search into the Scriptures you will find it and you can then mark it on your calendar and make sure you're ready. In fact, he continues on with a, a brief parable. He says, it is like a man, who, a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Jesus, during His time here and and the apostles during their time and in the things that they wrote, never once did they describe to us that there's a need for us to search and make inquiry into the day and time that the Lord would return. The command given to us is very simple. Be ready for when He does. Be ready for when He does. What I say to you, I say to all. Be on the alert. Be awake so that when He comes, He finds you ready for Him. Most of the Jews failed to search the Scriptures honestly. Because of that failure, they were found standing against the Son of God. And we're responsible for going back and forth in the Scriptures and gaining true knowledge, not speculating. We're responsible to go back and forth in them and gain true knowledge. But our job isn't simply to accumulate these vast amounts of knowledge. And this is where I want to take us to a different place in the New Testament. As we think about our jobs here and we consider what we ought to do with the knowledge we've been given, we have some, some priorities with what we learn. We're told in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And he goes on speaking to them about what they understand and what they ought to do with their understanding so that they don't hinder the walk of their brethren with God. The very first thing we ought to be concerned about when we gain knowledge is, am I using it to better my brethren's walk with God? Am I helping them 
to be what they ought to be. And second, of course, we ought to use the knowledge to reach out to the lost. That great commission still holds just as much importance to Christians today as it did when Jesus spoke it for the very first time. In Matthew 28, 18-20, He's got all authority given to Him, heaven and earth. We ought to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not supposed to be a, a secluded people to ourselves. It's a funny thing that some have chosen to do is just completely seclude themselves from society and, and remove themselves from all contact. And that's not what we're commanded to do at all. We're to walk among the world, to be among them, and to share with them the hope that is in Christ. That knowledge that we've gained. That knowledge that has been given to us. There's a parable that's often applied only physically. And I think it's imperative that we apply it spiritually. It's in Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> let's turn to Luke chapter 12. And let's start in verse 16. The parable was spoken in, uh, in response to a very physical situation. And so it's right to apply it physically. There's these two guys who come to Jesus and they want... Uh, one wants the other to split up the inheritance with him, and, and they're very concerned about this. And Jesus teaches them to be on guard against every form of greed. But verse 16, he told them a parable, Luke 12, 16, saying, the, the, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And so is the man who stores up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. I hope that as you, even as we mention a spiritual application, that it becomes readily apparent to you. That sometimes we become so consumed with the search for knowledge and, and the gaining of it and the stockpiling of it in our own minds that we forget to share it with the people who need to know. And we start to take our ease spiritually. We sit back and we think, well, I've learned a whole lot. Boy, I've learned a whole lot. And so I'll sit back in my spiritual reclining chair. And I suppose if anyone comes to me, I might answer a question or two. But I have enough knowledge to sit back and relax until the day of judgment. I certainly have learned enough to be saved. And so we sit back and we don't share what we've learned with anyone. And we, like this rich fool, build larger barns to store up what we consider to be our overflowing knowledge. Instead of sharing with those who have need, instead of considering that others may need that knowledge that we've gained, gained through the grace of God, mind us, 
but that others have need for it and we ought to be the ones to share it with them. The question is, what are you doing with the riches you've been given? We've been studying some things together that a lot of folks have questions about. A lot of our brethren have questions about. Are you sharing with them what you're learning? Are you sharing with them what you're studying? Are you sharing with each other what you're studying? And are you sharing with the lost the hope that's in Christ so that they can begin gaining as you have? It's not our job to stockpile the knowledge. It's our job to use it to follow where it's pointing us. Remember those Jews who saw or failed to see the Scriptures pointing to Jesus? Even though they searched through them day and night. Don't fall into that trap. You who are here, especially on Sunday night, are, you know, there's nearly no service where you're not here. And that's an excellent practice. But at the same time, be careful. Because you need to not just stockpile the information, but see and follow where its arm is pointing. It's pointing us out to the lost. It's pointing us to our brethren. It's pointing us to be active in Christ. Don't ignore where the arm of Scripture points. Follow it. And let it take you where it intends for you to go. In a time when God's remained silent for more than 2,000 years, it is right for us to go back and forth in the Scriptures and to gain knowledge. But we must search honestly. We must allow the Scriptures to teach us. Because we learn nothing when we insert our own ideas into the Scriptures and only see what we desire. And we must share the spiritual riches that God has given us with those in need. Sharing the gospel that brings salvation to every person who obeys it. That is our task. And I hope as we continue going back and forth together and as our knowledge increases, that we will become ever more effective tools in the hands of God to encourage each other and to reach out to those lost souls that are so close to us. Tonight we've come to the end of our going back and forth. To the end of our study time. And so we're going to offer an invitation. It's an invitation that's open. It's one that God Himself has extended to all the lost. To any erring child of His. If you are not a Christian but you understand and believe the Gospel. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He came and died for your sins and the sins of the whole world. And you're ready to repent of your sins and obey Him instead. We will listen to your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we will baptize you in His name for the forgiveness of your sins. But only if you understand those things will He wipe them away. And second, if you are a child of God who has gone astray, Maybe you've been stockpiling the knowledge that you've gained and failing to share it with those in need. Or maybe it's some other struggle entirely. Whatever your struggle is tonight, we're here to help you and to strengthen you 
And so please, if anyone has a spiritual need tonight, please come forward and make it known as we stand and sing.